big tower lights. Uh, I, so Manasseh had this great idea to uh, get the fire department to come, bring an engine. And uh, we've done events like that before. And uh, so I, I went down to the fire department on Geckler, and they said, oh, it'll be no problem, but you've got to call the, the main office. So I called the main office, filled out their form, and then they emailed me back and said, sorry, we don't come on Sundays. And I was like, oh, that's frustrating. But when I went down to the fire department, I gave him a card, and I wrote my phone number on it. And the guy called me this morning. He said, hey, I heard you want us to come tonight. And I said, yeah, 6.30, 8.30. And so they're coming at 7 o'clock. So if you, uh, so unless there's a big fire they have to go to, they'll be here parked under the tree at uh, 7 p.m. They're coming from 7 to 7.30. So bring your kids if they want to see the fire truck. Um, anyway, it's going to be awesome. We're just believing that we can be a light in this community, right? And we want them to know we're here. Uh, I'm going to strategically put cool guitars and stuff on the platform so if someone walks in for coffee, they can wonder, like, why is there band stuff at the church? Like, I want people to, to understand what we do here. So uh, it's going to be an awesome night. If you're not going to be here, man, pray for us. Even if you're not helping, come hang out with us. We would love to have you. Uh, we have election day coming up, November 7th. We always have people vote here, and uh, we're going to do that. Pastor Wendy does a great job uh, dialing in the details. Uh, what I have written down here is that we need you to bake cookies because we like to give them homemade cookies when they come to vote. Um, and we still need cookies, but I'll be honest, Bill wrote that he's going to bring 21 dozen cookies on the list. So, <laughs> so we've got a lot of cookies, but we can always use more. You can never have too many cookies. Um, anyway, that's going to be an awesome day. Also, we have a new members class coming up. So if you would like to be a voting member of our church, and you've been coming at least six months, uh, we would love to have you do that. November 13th, after church, in the kids' room, we'll have a little lunch for you. And uh, we'll just let you know what it is we believe and uh, if you want to be a part of voting on the finances, uh, uh, ratifying board members, all that good stuff, um, that's, that's what you want to do. You want to be a part of that. And we would love to have you do that. There's a sign-up sheet out there just so we know how many people to prepare for. You want to be a voting member, we would love to have you. And that's in preparation for our, our annual business meeting, which will be uh, in, I think, January, February. I can't remember. Anyway, one of those months at the beginning of the year. So be a part of that if you would like to. Hey, I'm going to call our ushers forward this morning. We're going to get ready to take our offering. Thank you for being faithful to this church, faithful to God, and uh, we're so grateful for uh, anything you give. Helps us do things like we're doing tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for this offering that's about to be given. Thank you for your beautiful people, this beautiful church, this property you've given us right smack in the middle of Boise. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Uh, man, it's just so, so right in front of us today because we get to minister tonight. And I pray you would help every single penny that is given today, uh, help it, uh, help people to know you better because of it, help people to know you the first time, for the first time because of it. Would you honor those who give, honor those that it is given to? Let us be wise with the resources you give us, and we place it in your hands, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
Welcome to church today. You're probably wondering about the golf clubs. You don't get to find out yet. That's not for, not for a few minutes here. Uh, man, what a beautiful Sunday morning, a beautiful fall morning. I was telling the worship team, praise God for a beautiful day weather-wise, right? It's going to get rough this week, it looks like, but today and tomorrow, beautiful, beautiful days uh, for the glow and treat. So can't wait to see you tonight. It's a really exciting day. Something else uh, this isn't, didn't make the official announcements, but I just want to put it uh, in your minds. Uh, we have our Thanksgiving feast coming up. That's going to be November 20th, 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, you're going to get more information starting next week, uh, you know, sign-up sheets for bringing food and all that stuff. Uh, it's just a chance for us to get together. This is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, a chance for us to get together, celebrate God's goodness and blessings, have a meal together. I'd encourage you, uh, if you have someone you've been trying to get to come hang out at church, uh, invite them to come that day. Uh, maybe that hasn't been here, or maybe it hasn't been in a little while. It's a great chance for them to come to get to know some people. Uh, yeah, if they haven't been for a while, for whatever reason, bring them along. It's going to be just like uh, your big family dinner that you have at home. And if you have, like, a crazy uncle that usually comes, crazy uncle or aunt, or maybe you are the crazy uncle or aunt, that's okay. Just come. We'll all be crazy uncles and aunts together, and it'll be one big happy family except with like 80 people about. So anyway, it's going to be fun. We'll have it set up with tables, and, and we'll have it all organized. We'll have plenty to eat, so if you know someone that would like to come but they can't bring something, that's fine. We'll have plenty to eat. It's going to be fantastic. Also in November, uh, we'll be collecting supplies for the Boise Rescue Mission like we did last year, so you'll see some boxes, and we'll give you some instruction about that. Just whatever we have that we can give them to help people this fall uh, and winter, we want to do that. Uh, I'll get a list from them. They, they can send a list over of the specific things they need. So we'll make sure uh, that we are ready to do that. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Looking forward to November, Thanksgiving, all that good stuff. Uh, before I get going on the next part of Psalm 34 today, i got something really exciting to tell you about. Uh, a month or so ago, you remember probably we made a, a transition in our youth ministry. Pastor Mary, wherever she is, she's been filling in admirably back there. But I'm really excited to let you know that we have hired a full-time youth and young adults pastor. I think we have their picture up there. Maybe there they are. So that's Pastor Chase on the right and Hannah and their little guy, James. Uh, they are wonderful people, and uh, they're going to be joining us the second week of December. Uh, the board and I have spent the past month kind of working through what it would look like, all that good stuff. And the reality is this, because of uh, the really wise leadership of Pastor Tim and Debbie who came before us, the church is in really good financial shape, and we're able to take a step forward and uh, move forward and try to reach people as best we can. And we can uh, move forward, what I wrote down here is with determination towards reaching young people in Boise. So really excited about it. The reason for a delay and them starting, why we're announcing it so far out is they got to finish at their current church, uh, which is the last Sunday in November, and they're announcing it where they are today. And uh, anyway, that's going to be happening. Really excited about it. Can't wait for you to meet them. We'll do some kind of meet and greet. However, I believe they'll be here tonight at the Glow and Treat if you'd like to meet them. Um, I don't know what they're going to be dressed up as, so it'll be like, where's Waldo, I guess. <laughs> Just hunt for the new people. Uh, Chandra and I are really excited for you to meet them. Board met them last Tuesday. Uh, we feel just like the Lord's fingerprints are on it from beginning to end. So really excited. Wanted to let you know that that is coming down the pipe in December. Today, we're headed into part two of The Reason I Sing. We're going to be talking about the middle section of uh, Psalm 34. So you can turn your Bibles there, flip your devices However it is, you look at uh, God's word. Uh, this is the second to last week of 
Our series, His Love Endures Forever, which has been about the Psalms. Now, if you're paying attention, you're like, wait a minute, you said that last week was the second to last week, which I did say that. But I got into the middle of this, I was writing it this week, and the middle of it, verses 11 through 14, was so rich, had so much stuff in it, that it needed its own week. So in two weeks, we'll move into a series on the parables, on the sayings of Jesus that'll take us into Christmas time. Uh, so the, the second part of Psalm 34 will uh, be split into two parts, and probably this week and next week will be a little bit shorter, although I guess I hear preachers always say that, and then they never end up going shorter. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but it would have been way too much to squeeze into one Sunday. So uh, we're going to uh, look at the middle section of Psalm 34. Last week, in the first half of Psalm chapter 34, uh, we saw David, who's the author of this psalm. Uh, if you remember, he showed us three reasons that we sing. David sang, and we sing for a few reasons. One of them is because God answers when we call. One of them is because God guards and defends us. And the third one we talked about last week is that he provides for our needs. And we have to remember the way we set this up last week. I'm not going to spend, I spent a bunch of time kind of setting up David's story last week, so this is just the short version if you weren't here last week. Uh, David shows us something really essential he's figured out as he writes this down in Psalm 34. He's figured out at least at this point in his life. That's this. David, he doesn't sing because his circumstance is good. He sings because his God is good. Like I said, I'm not going to go through his big story, but we know this. Just know this, that when David wrote this down, he had just come off one of the wildest things that could have ever happened, the story of David and Goliath. The shepherd boy shows up with the slingshot and kills the giant with a smooth stone. And that's an event that would live in history forever. And it would move toward Israel toward the most success it would ever have to that point in history. David, he'd been anointed king of Israel by Samuel when he was younger. But the problem is the current king of Israel who saw he's jealous and he's paranoid. He's got unlimited resources and he's decided he's going to kill David. And David, I'm sure, when he, you know, if you know the story, right, he showed up to bring some supplies to his brothers, and Goliath was mocking the Israelites, and David's like, I'll go out and kill that giant. Pulls his sling out, kills the giant. And I'm sure that David was putting two and two together, and he's thinking, upward trajectory from here. I'm going to be king soon, right? But instead, he finds himself pretending he's crazy in order to escape Goliath's hometown, and all he's got is a stolen sword, clothes on his back. And it really is an incredible story if you go read the parts of it. Someone should make a movie out of it or something, although they probably would mess it up. But that's the framework for him talking about God here, about God answering and guarding and providing. And that brings us to the interlude of the reason we sing. I called it uh, the reason we sing interlude. Now, an interlude in music is a, it's a short part between longer parts, Depending on the type of music, right, it's usually a bit of a break from what was going on before, and it's getting you ready for what's coming next. It can sometimes be a kind of transition. It can dynamically take you up or down, or sometimes if it's like classical music, it'll be a spot where they'll get you ready to switch keys. It's just a spot where you're transitioning. And that's kind of what we have here in Psalm 34, uh, 11 through 14. It's an interlude between the reasons we sing that we talked about last week and the two reasons we sing that we'll talk about next week. And this interlude could just be called simply, How to Fear the Lord. 
So let's read it together, uh, verses 11 through 14 of Psalm chapter 34. Uh, just a few short verses I'm reading to you today out of the NIV. It says this, Come, my children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David, he's just finished what we read last week, talking about these specific things that he praises God for. And he's going to give, give us more in the part that we'll talk about next week. But it seems like if we read this, that David believes if we're going to sing, there is something that we have to do. If we are going to sing, there's something that we have to do, and it's contained right here in verse 11. Look first at what it says. Come, my children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this concept, the fear of the Lord, that's come up quite a bit over the last little while in Psalms and Proverbs that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. We've touched on it, and we've established that to fear the Lord, it just means to submit to his ways or to have a tender heart towards God. And something we haven't touched on until now, because David says it here, and David, he has something really important to tell us. It's like when someone has been through something really big. They've been off on a big trip been off at college and they come back or something and they draw everyone in to tell them about this really important and cool thing that they've learned that's what David is doing with us here he's like gather around I've got something I got to tell you and David's going to call us close to talk about something that he has learned with his own blood sweat and tears literally and David says that he is going to teach us the fear of the Lord it's so interesting that fearing the Lord Having a heart that's soft towards God is something that we can and we must learn. As Christians, we must learn to have a soft heart towards God. And David, he goes on in these next few verses to give us some characteristics of someone who fears the Lord. Just things that happen if someone fears the Lord. You know, when something is important in somebody's life, there are certain things that are just going to be apparent. We all have things we love to do. For example, golf, hence the, uh, the display here. So do we have anyone here that likes to golf? I know my dad's here. He likes to golf. Played with him on Friday. Man, uh, you guys, you'll, you'll think of things as, as I go through this, but golf is this interesting thing, and really anything that we like, really like, uh, is like this. Uh, if someone really loves golf, they really do. I mean, just about every guy has a set of golf clubs in the corner somewhere, but if someone, like, loves to golf, really loves it, uh, there's just certain things that are apparent, right? Someone loves golf. There's going to be golf tees everywhere. And I'll just tell you, I don't play as much golf as I used to when I was younger, before I got married and before we had kids, really played quite a bit more. One of these days I'll get back to playing more often. Um, but used to play a bunch, almost every Friday with my dad who's here today. And uh, we played this last Friday, but that was like the third or fourth time of the whole season. And um, Used to play all the time. And when I was playing all the time, my wife can attest to this, I even got some in my pocket because they were on my dresser today. You're going to find these things everywhere. Golf tees, right? If someone plays golf, like really plays golf, these things are going to infiltrate your entire house. They're going to be in your washer. They're going to be on the kitchen table. They're going to be on all the dressers. Uh, you probably even have a box like I have here. This is my box. of. This is just a, a little bit of my random golf stuff. So speaking of tees, I mean, I've just got like a handful of tees. I'm probably going to use all of these in my life, right? Another thing you have... These little guys, uh, it's called a divot repair tool. If you hit a shot under the green, you damage it. 
um, you know, and I have, let's see, I mean, I've got like five or six I can see right here. Um, I don't even use these ones. I just have them in case I possibly need them, right? I'll give you a hot tip. If you carry one of these through the airport security, they will try and take it away from you. <laughs> Had one in my pocket once, and the uh, security person was like dead set that I was trying to bring a weapon through, and a pilot happened to come through behind me and was like, oh, no, that's fine. It's for golf. <laughs> I told the security person. Um, you're probably going to have, if you play a lot of golf, this happens to me, you're going to have grass in your pockets. Because you, you put the tee in the ground, you take it out, you put it in. Between holes, you put your, your ball in there. You, if you have your glove and you drop it, you put it in your pocket. You're going to end up with grass in your pockets and then grass in your washer. If you play golf, if you're really a golfer, you're going to have a major, 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 major farmer's tan. Like you just start going to. And you're going to have a hat tan too. Like you ever see the guys on TV? They take their hat off and the whole top of their head is just like dead white and the rest of them is tan. Especially if you have no hair like I do. You're going to have a tan like that if you actually are a golfer. You're going to have uh, calluses on specific parts of your fingers that you really only get if you play golf. You're going to have them on the balls of your feet from walking all the time. But here's the thing. If you are a golfer, you're probably going to have random golf clubs uh, all over your house. So right here I have uh, my putter collection that is growing. Um, so most of you know you use a putter on the green, right, when you're going to putt. So I have five putters here. The, the thing is you're only allowed to use one when you go golfing. My wife can attest to this, though. In my house at any given time, there's usually a couple in the corner because I'm a golfer, right? And I need, really need to keep these around. This is very important. So I have uh, this one right here, which is the one I used this past Friday. This is a ping answer to you. I'm probably not going to stick with that one. I have another ping answer to that Brad gave me. It's exactly the same, just a different color. Very important to have around. I have an original ping putter that Brad gave me. It actually makes a ping noise. Very important to have around. I have a Scotty Cameron. Uh, this is, uh, well, so I had a Scotty Cameron just like this for a while. Then it got stolen. So I bought another one, but I don't like this one as much, even though it's exactly the same. But I got to keep it around. And then I have this one, a Rosie 2. My dad gave me. This is one he putted with for a long time. My dad's a great putter. I'm a so-so putter. This is the one I'm probably going to use going forward, at least until I change my mind again. But the point is, I keep all of these things around, and you would know if you came to my house because you'd see them in the corner. It would be proof that I am a golfer, and you would see my scorecards from my favorite courses, and you would see my yardage books, and you would see my uh, little uh, extra spikes for my golf shoes. You would see my wrench to uh, change the head of my driver if I need to. The point is, if I'm a golfer, which at one point in my life I would have said I was, I would like to be now, I guess, there's going to be proof in my life. And what David is saying here is, if you fear the Lord, there are going to be things in your life that are just obvious. If you know someone who fears the Lord within the corners of their life, there's things that are just in there, and they just happen because they fear the Lord. And he lines them out for us right here. Look at verse 12. With me here really quick. Whoever, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Remember, we ended uh, last week talking about how in verse 10, it says that those who seek God, they lack no good thing. We quoted James chapter 1, and James chapter 1 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And David, he wants to talk in this chapter, he wants to talk about those good things. 
In fact, both the New Living Translation, New King James Translation, they pose this verse as a question instead of a statement. The NLT says, does anyone want to live a life that's long and prosperous? New King James says, who is the man who desires life and loves many days? That he may see good. You see, it tells us right here, a person who fears the Lord, something that's just in the corner of their life, a person who fears the Lord loves life, says in the NIV. A person who fears the Lord loves life. And they want to see as many good days as they can. I really love this because as Christians, you know, we all look forward to heaven someday. And every once in a while, there'll be some guilt like, boy, you can't love life on earth too much because heaven's going to be better, which is true. We're going to go to heaven. All pain is gone. We are with Christ. We'll reign with him forever. We'll see our loved ones that have gone before. But I love this verse because it gives us permission to treasure the life that God has given us on this earth. And we are allowed, David puts it in here, we are even allowed to hope that it's long. Now, I'm not trying to stereotype you or stereotype myself here. Uh, Loving life does not mean that you are up at 601 every single day, bouncing off the walls, big smile on your face. I mean, it can be that if you want to. And more power to you if that's you. Man, you wake up first thing, smile on your face, ready to have deep conversations. That is my wife, man. When her eyes are open, I better not open mine because, man, she's ready to talk. But... (laughs) It can also look, though, like just walking through life every day with determination and perseverance, treasuring the routine that you discover and you create. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes from him. The good and perfect gifts of those who are mourning people and the good and perfect gifts of those who are not. And loving life is what David's written down here. It just means embracing what God has made you to do. And doing it with all your heart for as long as God gives you. Now, David, he's writing this from a place where he's probably in some physical danger. But he's still like us. He's hiding out in a cave. Right after this, he starts to recruit uh, his band of mighty men, which are a bunch of misfits. But he's writing this from when he's in physical danger. And he's still like us. David hopes for a long and a good life. But you really got to see here, it's so interesting. The first thing David says we should do if we hope for a long and a good life. Long and a good life is something that someone who fears the Lord, that's what they hope for. But look at verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Now this is really crazy because David, he's written this, the first few parts of uh, uh, Psalm 34 are so beautiful, right? That verse is in there that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And David, he can say anything he wants right here. He's got us. He's written it down. He's set us up. He can say anything he wants to. We're listening, right? My boys, uh, you know, you only get limited time with, with kids sometimes. And, and uh, sometimes when they're going to get out of the car, you have one thing to say to them. And before they get out of the car to play sports, all their sports, John's finally ended yesterday, I always ask them one thing. There's one, one, or three things to do when we play sports. I say, John or Luke, what do we do when we play sports? And they repeat it back to me. The last thing I always tell them. Uh, we run our hardest, run our fastest, we try our hardest, and we have fun. Those are the three things we do when we play sports. I can say anything I want to them before they get out of the car, but that's the thing that I always say. Run our fastest, try our hardest, have fun. And David, he's got us here. He can say anything that he wants to. If you want to live a long and a good life, you should eat healthy, he could say. If you want to live a long and a good life, you should run three miles a day. 
David, a man after God's own heart, he could have said, if you want to live a long and a good life, you should pray X amount of times per day or X amount of, of time per day. David, a man after God's own heart, he could have gotten really spiritual and said, hey, if you want to live a long and a good and a prosperous life, you have to memorize a certain amount of the Bible. But he doesn't say any of that. The first thing he says is, be careful what you say. He could say anything, and he says, be careful what you say. And whatever you do, don't lie. Be careful what you say, and don't lie. You see, a person who fears the Lord speaks in a way that honors God. That's just something, if they fear the Lord, those are going to be the clubs laying around in the corner of their house. David's son Solomon, he would write a little bit later on, Proverbs 18, 21, that you know this verse, the tongue has the power of life and death. Jesus himself told the New Testament Jews in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I don't think the next part that's in verse 14 is any less important. And I'll just give you a spoiler. It says, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. But I think that the order that David puts these in, uh, he makes a point. And the point is, if we are going to follow the command, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it, we cannot do that. We can't do good and find peace without speaking life and telling the truth. As Christians, friends, we cannot do good and find peace without speaking life and telling the truth. That's not me saying it. It's written right down here in Psalms. Simply put, Friends, David, who came a thousand years before Jesus, he let us know that what we say matters. The things that are come out of our mouth matter. And as Christians, we all want to do what's in verse 14 that we're going to talk about. But the part in verse 13 is what has to happen first. I would just love to submit to you this morning as God's people, as Engage Boise, that turning from evil... It starts with what we speak to ourselves, starts with what we speak to our family, it starts with, starts with what we speak to those around us. So we start with what we speak and it leads us to that simple statement that comes up next. Turn from evil and do good. It's pretty cut and dry direction that David gives. And David would have us know that if doing good is the goal, that we cannot accomplish doing good without turning from evil. Look what it says. A person who fears the Lord turns their back on evil and walks towards good. And the thing about if we turn away from something is the only way you can't see the thing that you turned away from is if you turn completely, right? I'm going to turn from this wall over here from my nose guitar. Like if I look at you like this, I can still see it. Right? Even if I turn like this, it only takes a momentary turn of my head to still see it. I can't not see it until I turn my back completely on it. You see, if you don't turn 180 degrees, then you're going to catch whatever's behind you in your peripheral vision. Now, peripheral vision uh, is this incredible thing that God has given us. I, when I was younger, I often wondered... Like, before I learned to drive, like, how is it that all these people can drive these giant machines at such fast speeds, and there's relatively few wrecks if you consider how many people drive, how fast I drive? But one of the reasons is because of peripheral vision. It's one of the things that makes most of us safe drivers. 
Like most of us is what I put there. <laughs> but peripheral vision, it's not the same as when you see forward. When you see forward, you see in like perfect color. But in peripheral vision, you don't see color or detail the same. What it does see is movement and change. That's why when you're driving, you can be driving down the road and uh, something, you know, a deer can run across the road and you can know instinctively that you got to stop. The only place, though, that peripheral vision can't see is directly behind you. That's why in a car, there's a mirror, a small mirror for that part. We shouldn't be looking back very often. The point is that if we are not facing directly where we're going when it comes to what our heart is focused on, it's really easy for our peripheral vision, the peripheral vision of our heart, to catch glimpses of what it is we're trying to leave behind. If we're not... uh, Focused on what we're going towards, leaving the past behind, it's really easy to become distracted by what's still there. And this goes right along with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Man, the more I read the Bible, the more I love that the Old Testament and the New Testament connect. See, in Philippians 3, uh, Paul, he's talking about knowing Christ. And he says this in Philippians 3.13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, knowing Christ, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I really love the power of this next statement about peace. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, if every single person you ever run into, if they were honest, they would say they want to have peace. They want to have peace in their heart. They want to have peace in their life. Even the people who seem like they are just wreaking destruction all the time, probably the reason they're wreaking destruction is because they have a, a picture of peace they're trying to get to. They want to destroy everything else first. And, you know, there's things in life that once you find them, the job isn't done. In fact, the discovery of the thing is only the beginning. I've touched on this before. I think, I think getting married is kind of like that, right? You spend your whole life... You know, in your your teens and your 20s, trying to find the person that you're going to marry. And when you find the person you're going to spend your entire life with, it's a wonderful realization. Man, it feels so good. But all the people who've been married for a little while in this place, they would tell you um, that the pursuit of a good marriage and eventually a healthy family, it really never stops. Once you find the person, the job is just beginning. And why is it that we must always be pursuing a good marriage and a healthy family. I think the biggest reason is because none of the people involved in the good marriage and the healthy family, none of them stay the same for very long. Right? We all change. The core things that I believe, thankfully, they've remained the same from when I was 20 years old. But many, many, many things about me have changed. If you saw a picture from me, I ran across a picture of me in early 20s when I was in a band and I had crazy hair because I had a lot of hair back then that I just never cut because I hated getting haircuts. But the things I, things I believe are the same, but the things uh, that are important to me as far as my actions are different, right? Uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I've talked to you lots about sports. Man, it was really important to me to play basketball twice a week. I had to do it. Don't stop me. I'm going to try and play basketball twice a week. I'm going to golf once a month when the, or once a week. When the weather gets cold, I'm going to have my season pass. I'm going to go ski at least once a week. Those were the things that I did. But a good family and a healthy marriage changes because people change. 
The things that bring health and happiness to our kids at age two, they're not the same things that they need at 12 or 22. Right? My kids at, at age two, what they needed from me is, uh, well, maybe a little earlier than age two because they're pretty active, but, you know, what they needed from me was to just sit with them on the couch Maybe watch a football game or something like that. Just have them be with me. Make sure they have the food they need. Right now, you know, as they're getting closer to age 12, what they need is for me to go play the sport with them. And when they're 22, it's going to look different than that. Shudder to imagine. And peace, man, it's something like that. Peace sure is wonderful to find, and we all want to find it. The thing about peace is that it must always be pursued. See, someone who fears the Lord is someone who desires peace. It's just something like the golf clubs that sits in the corner of their house. Peace is wonderful to find, but it must always be pursued. Why is that? I think it's because the world around us is always changing. We never get to stop pursuing peace because the world around us is always changing. And this is a perspective I think that David is writing from. Like we've talked about, David, you know, he's killed Goliath. He's stolen the sword. He's gone through Gath. He's hiding out in the caves. That's the perspective he's writing, writing from. You see, once we think we've got a phase of life figured out that we're in, that means you probably better hang on because the change is coming. Right? When you think you got it figured out, when you think you know how every day is going to look, you better hang on because it's going to get different. And having peace in our lives, I believe, it comes down so much to living at peace with those around us. We must always be working at forgiving people. We must always be working at letting go. We must always be working at extending grace to those who maybe don't deserve it. I'm so thankful that people have extended grace to me when I didn't deserve it. We must always be working at speaking life to people when we might not be feeling it in that moment. So when it comes to fearing the Lord, David, he gives us some things that happen and he even gives us the order they happen in. And really all of them, they're evidence of what's going on in our heart. Really all these things uh, about fearing the Lord, they're evidence of whether or not we have the stuff in the corners of our heart. We know Matthew 12 tells us out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, a desire to turn from evil and turn towards good, it has to come from a heart. I don't think I have that on the screen, but write that down. A desire to turn from evil and towards good, it has to come from the heart. If it doesn't come from our heart, we will never turn fully. If the desire to turn from evil doesn't come from our heart, we're always going to be a little bit sideways. Never going to be leaving the past behind us. And the truth that we can't miss this morning, friends, as Engage Boise, is that outward peace, it starts with the peace of Christ that lives in our hearts. If you don't have the peace of Christ in your heart, you will never have outward peace. You can look and you can try, you can place your trust in anything you want, but you won't have it without the peace of Christ. In fact, Isaiah 9 tells us prophetically, right? Jesus is called in Isaiah chapter 9, the Prince of Peace. And I'll just tell you this morning, if you haven't asked God to forgive you of your sins, ask Jesus to live in your heart like it talks about all throughout the New Testament, that peace that you so desperately want to have, it's not going to come. 
how us humans are really good at finding momentary peace in other places and other things. But the kind of peace that lasts forever, we're never going to find it if we don't have Christ in our lives. And all of that leads us towards what we started with in verse 11. Learning about fearing God and having a heart that is soft towards Him. I think most of the people who have served God for a while in this place, they would tell you that learning to fear the Lord, learning to have a soft heart towards Him, it's an everyday, lifelong process. It doesn't happen with the snap of the fingers. And if we think of a heart like a garden, uh, I'm not very good at gardening, but I know a decent garden needs to have dirt that is prepared pretty well. You can't just go throw the seed out or anything. The dirt has to be prepared pretty well if you want the garden to be good. It has to be disturbed periodically, right? You have to go in there and rake it or turn it over or whatever. The weeds have to be pulled. If you're going to have a decent garden, you got to go out there and you got to pull the weeds. And the right stuff has to be in the soil. The right nutrients, the right amount of water has to be in the soil. And when it comes to our heart, very similar to a garden. We must allow our heart to be turned over periodically. This is one of the reasons why church and other times with God's people, men's breakfast, small groups, dinners, game nights, all that stuff, that's why it is so essential. Because worshiping and fellowshipping and studying with other believers, it's the thing that keeps the soil from getting hard. Asking questions that might have hard answers along with other believers, man, that turns that soil over and it keeps it soft so God can speak and God can move. We have to look at the garden of our heart if we want to have a soft heart towards God. We have to look at the garden of our heart and we have to keep a sharp eye for the weeds. My experience with the garden, not that I'm any good at it, like I said, is the best way to keep weeds away is with a little bit of, little bit of work each day. If you plant a garden in the spring and then you go out three months later to try and pull the weeds, you're probably going to give up because there's going to be too many weeds. And in our hearts, that looks like realizing, yeah, if we may be in sin, may have strayed a little bit and being willing to repent. Saying, Lord, ah, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And being willing to do so on a regular basis. That doesn't mean you go through every, life, every day of life thinking you're a dirty dog. But it's examining our heart and saying, Lord, this little part of me, I give this to you. When it gets really difficult is if we go a really long time without examining what's in there. If we go a really long time with not, without examining the state of our heart, that soil gets hard and those weeds grow up. Finally, we must put the right nutrients into the garden of our heart in the form of God's word. I'm just going to tell you, friends, the more that we read God's word, the more regularly we do so, the healthier and stronger our heart becomes and the softer it is towards the Lord. And I, what I've learned in my 43 short years is there's not really any shortcuts. It's just not. And all of this adds up to a heart that hears the interlude that David has written into the song. All of this adds up uh, to a heart that has the things that identify someone who fears the Lord uh, all over the corners. All this adds up to a heart that fears the Lord. So this morning as we close, uh, we're going to get ready to sing that song, Tremble, in a minute. Um, and I love the song we're going to sing. It, you know, Pastor Almeida planned these songs a long time ago. I didn't know where I would be in Psalms 
uh, when we got to this day. But I love it because it says uh, Jesus makes the darkness tremble. And I, I, when we were singing it earlier, I was thinking of the message. And the thing is, when we turn and face towards Jesus, the darkness can tremble and we can see Jesus in front of us. Um, Jesus can see the darkness. By the light of his glorious face, he can make it tremble, but we don't have to see it. This morning, friends, that's what he wants to do for us, make the darkness tremble on our behalf. So would you stand this morning? We're going to get ready to sing, and I'm just going to encourage you this as we sing this song. Let's be people who treasure the life that God has given us. Let's be the people where these things are just there. Let's speak in a way that honors God. Let's turn from evil and seek peace. Let's allow these things that prove the fear of God, just like all the golf clubs. Let's allow those things uh, to fill up the corners of our heart and our life this morning as we sing and get ready to close.